Welcome to another episode of Uncle Pete's Storytime. This is the part two continuation of a story about my first job in radio from my collection of short stories called So Yeah, I Got Fired. Where we pick up, I had just gotten written up because my boss found out that I had taken an interview at another radio station hoping to get a better job. So I was disciplined for that naturally after a series of other events had already taken place that had her kind of keeping an eye on me. We'll pick it up with part two right about now. I kept my head down and worked, making new demo tapes and sending them out every week with a few phone interviews here and there and nothing really significant, which caused me to begin to think I wasn't such a big deal And it was my lot in life to work overnight for a few hundred listeners and cover for the alcoholic morning guy for an extra $50 a month from when I started the year before. But that was okay, because by this time, I had settled into a relationship with this gorgeous young lady named April. Now, I was starting to go bald at this point and gaining weight rapidly from long hours, fast food, too much booze not working out, and since I had given my beloved dog Merle away because he was destroying my house, no long walks in the morning anymore after I got done with my graveyard shift. April stood out in Lebanon because she's black. Lebanon, Oregon is a very, very, very white town. I mean, Wonder Bread looks at Lebanon and goes, damn, that's white. April's dad lived in California, and when her parents divorced, She came to Oregon with her mom, who is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white lady. April was only about 20 years old, almost 21, and just kind of working part-time and floating around. But she got to know me because she used to date the old overnight DJ, turned meth dealer named Chris, (laughs) though she dumped him when he quit radio to sell meth, and she had a weird sexual relationship with my drunk morning guy's wife, which I didn't know about until we started dating. Now, Jim, the drunk morning guy, was allowed to watch them but not participate in anything. I'm just saying Jimmy Swaggart's uh, situation isn't as unusual as you might think. And I honestly thought that maybe April's bisexuality might come in handy, but it never did. April and I had two fundamental problems which kept our relationship from working. One, she never kept a job very long and expected me to take care of her on a $1,250 a month salary. And perhaps more importantly, number two, she was a moron. She was a bimbo, just flat ass dumb. She had gotten by on her looks for her entire 20 years on the planet. And she was just plain Stupid, but hot. I mean, way out of my league hot. Like, how come this balding, heavyset guy is with her? Is he rich? Is he, uh, you know, blessed? Well, I can promise you I wasn't rich and I'm not uh, blessed. But still, there was this hot young woman who thought the sun rose and set in my pants because I was the number one overnight DJ between Eugene and Portland, Oregon, after all. And for the time being... That was good enough for me. Well, one morning, my program director, Billy, said, Hey, I'm going to go outside and smoke a cigarette. Come outside and talk with me. From our past conversations, I knew this was often good news. He lit up and said, Hey, 
Dangerous Daniels, uh, da- Dangerous Dale Daniels is leaving. Do you want the afternoon job? I haven't told Marcella yet, but Dale just gave me his notice, and I want you to take over afternoons and be my production director. Do you want that job? Hell yes, I wanted it. And Dangerous Dale was <laughs> an asshole. And he thought really highly of himself because he'd been on the radio in Portland, Seattle, and Houston. He'd also been fired and arrested in Portland, Seattle, and Houston. He was a recovering addict slash alcoholic whose resume was well above his job in Lebanon, but his rap sheet and, more important, his rampant assholery due to his massive ego were barely good enough for Lebanon. He drove around town in a 1970s Dodge Dart with stickers in the window that said Dangerous Dale and a license plate that said Dangerous Dale, which is, you know, Dangerous Dale with all of the vowels removed. (laughs) And Dangerous Dale routinely got his ass kicked in the ratings by the country station in Albany. Still, a friend of his was the program director at a pop station in Eugene and offered Dale the afternoon drive spot there. Eugene, of course, at that time was the second biggest city in all of Oregon, so this was a big deal, you know, as far as radio in Oregon goes. Two weeks later, I was a by-God afternoon drive-time radio DJ Lebanon, Oregon. and I was also the production director, and I got a raise to $1,400 a month, which only served to keep my bimbo girlfriend April from getting another job. And now that I was at the station during the day, we could no longer do unspeakably disgusting things in the station or when nobody was around at night either. Was she going to dump me for that? Eh, who the hell cared at that point? I was an afternoon drive radio DJ. Now, for some reason, I began feeling the need to push my jokes farther and farther against the lines of what was considered good taste in the Midwalamet Valley. But the first ratings book came out, and I was still number two to the Albany guy, but I had taken away number one during the five o'clock hour. Two, three, and four still belonged to him, but I was gaining ground. As production director, it was my job to assign commercials to be written and produced. I had this one client, Hungry Fred's Pizza, who would only allow me to do their commercials, And this was both a blessing and a curse because they had new campaigns just about every week. Same with computer action products, Locklear's Furniture, and Copeland Hardware. So I put in a lot of time and care into writing the scripts, reading the copy exactly as I wanted it to sound, adding sound effects, and finding the right piece of non-copyrighted production music to put in underneath. To be honest, I was a bit of a tyrant. I made our new nighttime DJ Lacey Hughes cry because she brought me a garbage commercial for beautiful buggy car wash. I laid into our drunk morning guy for half-assing his commercial for Laredo Ranch Supply and Western Wear. Frankly, we almost came to blows, but instead we ended up walking across the parking lot to the local watering hole and working it out over a couple of barley pops and shots. My Drive at Five sponsors got better and better, as and we got better prizes. No more <laughs> crappy prizes like a $10 coupon to the waterbed store. We were giving away real prizes now. Pizzas, college football tickets, concert tickets, CDs and posters and merchandise from the hottest artists. The good stuff. And in the next ratings book, 
I was the top dog in both the 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock hours. In April, my girlfriend had mercifully dumped me, so I didn't have to listen to her be stupid anymore. And she had taken up with a construction worker named Evan in Sweet Home. <laughs> good luck and good riddance. Who needs her? I was the drive-time DJ of a 100,000-watt flamethrower in Lebanon, frickin' Oregon. Things went pretty well from there. I got to meet several country music stars like Joe Diffie and Tracy Bird and even Willie Nelson, who told his favorite dirty joke to everyone around, which was, so this man tells his son, if you masturbate too much, you'll go blind. And the kid says, Dad, I'm over here. Ba-dum-bum. I'm here all week. Tip your server. But I got used to meeting the famous singers, and eventually I got pretty good at small talk with them, and since the reason I was there in the first place was to introduce them on stage, they'd tell me what they wanted me to say. Usually it was their hometown, any awards they may have won, or their latest album's name, their record label, and their name. It was pretty routine. But I had two situations which got a little bit hairy. I was to introduce Billy Dean on stage at the Oregon Jamboree in Sweet Home, a huge country music festival every summer. So I got his hometown, name of his record label, name of his latest record, and was about to go when the door opened and in walked Faith Hill. She was closing the show that night after Billy Dean, and she just wanted to come say hi and wish Billy a good show. He said, hey, Faith, you look great. Tim in the town yet? Tim was Faith's boyfriend, and future husband, Tim McGraw. She said, nah, he's running a little late coming down from Seattle. At this point, Billy Dean says to me, oh, hey, uh, this is Pete from one of the radio stations. He's introducing me. I think I said, very nice to meet you, Miss Hill, but I may have said, the pancake dolphin sweaty or some other random collection of words. She's stunning. She may have said, nice to meet you, or she may have asked me, are you okay? Are you having a stroke? Who the hell knows? Uh, but I met Faith Hill, and I didn't have the presence of mind to have her record a little plug for me in the radio station because I was that starstruck, which was kind of a bummer. I made a similar mistake with Willie, but that's just because he invited the whole media onto his bus and passed around the joint the size of a cable that holds up a bridge. The only other time I really got that starstruck was when I was supposed to introduce Martina McBride, also at the Oregon Jamboree. She couldn't have been nicer, but her eyes are a kind of blue that you can't even describe with human words. And I stared into those eyes and tried to repeat what she told me to say, but I couldn't speak. It was like that old episode of SNL where Chris Farley met... Uh, Sharon Stone, you so pretty, me, not anything, you know. She said, here, let me write it down for you. So I said some sort of word salad and got out of the trailer. And when the time came to introduce her, I read the card that she had written uh, verbatim. And as I was walking off, she gave me a thumbs up and mouthed the words, good job, and smiled at me. I almost passed out. The station was doing great. Our ratings were good. We had a lot of advertising revenue coming in. It was fantastic. Becky, the receptionist, came over sometimes at night when her husband was away on work, and we did unholy things that I'm not proud of. Or sometimes we'd just smoke some marijuana and watch some stupid movie. I'm sure that he knew she did stuff that he wasn't cool with when he was out of town, but he probably did similar things when he was out on the road, is what I told myself. Ultimately, he got a job in Idaho, 
And so I no longer got to be the side piece of the receptionist because they moved to Idaho. I knew Becky was married whenever we did anything unwholesome or, you know, downright adulterous. But she was a lot better looking than most women who were willing to uh, spend any sort of time with me, let alone sleep with me. And for her, I was right next door and I almost always had some beer and tequila. So it worked. I started working out again, too, because the station paid for me to have a membership at the local gym, and Becky liked my chest and arms, and that gave her something to focus on to keep her in the game when we were misbehaving. She was only 22, and she hadn't been out of Lebanon her whole life, so when her husband got a job in a whole new town in a whole new state, she was actually all packed up and ready to go before he even finished telling her where the hell they were going. Now, losing my semi-regular sex buddy was a bummer, but I was spending most of my time at the radio station anyway. We were doing well, but there was definitely a rift between sales and programming. See, sales would sell commercials to anyone for the money, and they always over-promised and under-delivered, so I had to deal with some stupid deadlines to get spots on the air for various businesses, most of whom would actually go out of business within a year. The worst was when they wanted me to create spec spots or speculative spots, which are sample commercials specifically for the prospective client. Make a spot for them before they buy it. I put as much time and care into those as for clients we already had, so I couldn't in good conscience let somebody else do them, which meant I meant had to do more and more and more and more work. My typical day was I would go into work at about 6 in the morning, have uh, breakfast and get cleaned up. Um, that way I'd be ready to go when other people were at the station. Uh, I was there pretty much from realistically 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. or sometimes later. Now, Marcella had managed to hire a salesperson who used to be a bartender because she was good at getting people to drink more. Her name was Stephanie. She was about 24 and moved from Albany to Lebanon to be with her boyfriend. But when he left town, he decided he didn't want her to come with him. She had no radio experience, but she'd sold booze. And uh, before that, she was in retail at Mervyn's department store. So she was pretty good at selling. She was cute, too. Blonde hair, blue eyes, about 5'4", and surprisingly introverted for a bartender. Well, one day I was elbow deep in commercials in the production room, staring at the thick brown shag carpeting on the wall, hoping the next uh, great-sounding commercial would come to me. And Stephanie knocked on the door, said she had a spec spot, and wondered if I could get it to her by tomorrow morning. This wouldn't fly in 2021, but being ridiculously full of myself because I was in kind of decent shape, I had a nice pickup truck and an apartment that I had rebuilt after my dog had to move out and uh, I was the number one afternoon DJ between Portland and Eugene, Oregon. So, you know, why not give my balls a tug and be a bit bold? I said, yeah, I'll make the commercial for you if you'll go out to dinner with me. Gotta be honest, I was pretty weak frickin' tea, but she agreed and we went out and we clicked and things progressed. I apparently had learned absolutely nothing from the Cassandra days. And Marcella decided that we needed a weekend retreat as a staff for team building. Yeah. 
So we all loaded into our cars at noon on a Friday, leaving the station totally in the hands of part-time DJs who had no business being left on their own at a radio station. The good news is they only took us completely off the air one time. But the staff was all checked into a hotel in Tillamook over on the coast. We were all assigned to share a room with someone of the same gender. You see, the married staff were not allowed to bring their spouses, so they were pretty steamed about being there in the first place. And I stayed in a room with a salesman named Dan Garrett. Dan had a wife and two young kids, so he was not thrilled to be spending time at a mandatory so-called team-building retreat. Meanwhile, I was just trying to find a way to get him out of the room so I could bring Stephanie in for fun adult things. We had a staff dinner at the hotel restaurant. Marcella told us she wasn't going to pay for any alcohol or anything outside of our hotel. The whole reason we were even in the hotel was that Marcella had coupons from them as a reward for advertising them on our station. She, and more importantly, the owners, were paying exactly zero dollars to force us on a team-building trip away from spouses and children, on which uh, my pager and Billy's pager kept going off because the part-timer kid back at the station had no earthly idea what he was doing. At 9 p.m., the hotel bar, they started karaoke. This is when the evening took a turn. (laughs) Our morning guy, Jim, as I've mentioned a few times, was a ripping alcoholic. So he was spending every penny that he earned on beer. And Dan Garrett, the uh, salesperson, was a good singer. So we kept prodding him and goading him to go sing, but he wouldn't. We bought him several glasses of brandy, and ultimately that gave him the courage to get up on stage and sing, I used to love her, but I had to kill her by Guns N' Roses, which horrified Marcella. (laughs) Uh, Stephanie and I were trying to pretend we weren't up to anything, but Marcella had her eye on us. I lit Stephanie's cigarette for her, which didn't pass the smell test to Marcella because I don't smoke. Why would I have a lighter to light Stephanie's cigarette if I don't smoke cigarettes? That didn't add up. She gave us the stink eye all night long. After several glasses of whiskey, I asked drunk Jim, the morning guy, if he wanted to get on stage and sing Poncho and Lefty, the old Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard song with me. He said he'd be glad to. So we got on stage and sang. However, we were both hammered and struggled with rhythm, and then Jim apparently felt the song needed more cursing, so he made a bit of a remix. Uh, So we sang our sloppy, drunk, profanity-laced version of Poncho and Lefty. Much to Marcella's chagrin, she was lecturing us about being representatives of the station and blah, 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 when Billy's pager went off. "Ah, Christ, what now, he said, and went off to find his phone. He came back to let me and Marcella know that Dennis Marks, our part-timer, had accidentally shut the station off by pulling on a lever that he had no earthly business even being near, much less pulling. (laughs) But damn it, he was curious. Well, Billy said he had to go, so he left. Billy was sharing a room with Scott Leary, one of the other salespeople. That was fantastic. Billy left, so if Scott would let Dan share his room, Stephanie and I could make naughty time. Sweet. I decided to relay the good news to Stephanie by asking her if she wanted to go over uh, for a walk on the beach with me. Sensing something was amiss and wanting to keep Marcella happy, our HR lady Kim 
said, oh, are you two going over to the beach? I'll go too. So we walked across the road to the beach, and Kim, the HR lady, and her assigned roommate, our new receptionist, Paula, were there, we thought, to spy on us to see if we were up to anything untoward. And we were, but we denied it. But then we heard a booming baritone voice yell out, Wait up, you guys! It was Drunk Jim, the morning guy. He had swiped a bottle of bourbon from behind the bar when the bartender wasn't looking, and he wanted to walk on the beach with us and get more drunk, of course, without Marcella watching. So Kim and Paula surprised us by pulling out a pretty good-sized hunk of marijuana and a glass pipe. So our walk on the beach got more interesting suddenly. Stephanie got giggly when she got high, but that wasn't so bad. She also whispered in my ear that getting high made her feel really, really horny. Hmm. So now I am cross-faded on whiskey and weed, trying to figure out how to chase Dan out of my room to Scott's room so I can enjoy Stephanie's current feelings. We hadn't been dating very long, and we'd only been intimate once at her apartment, after which she cried for a long time, which... Confused the hell out of me. I didn't know what to make of that, but as near as I could tell through her sobs, she said I was the first man she was with since her ex-boyfriend, and it was so nice to feel like someone wanted her again. I didn't know what to say, so I made her some scrambled eggs in the morning and got the hell out of there, kind of expecting that she wouldn't want to see me again as I was just a rebound, I thought. But turned out she did want to see me again, which was actually nice, and so we started whatever the hell we had been leading up to. Hey guys, I don't, I don't usually smoke weed because it makes me sleepy, and and I'm I'm already pretty fucked up," said drunk morning guy Jim. <laughs> At that point, he steadied himself, stood up, peed himself, and puked right into the sand. After he sat back down on a log for a minute to gather his thoughts, he got himself together and said, "You guys have to tell me how to get back. I don't want to pass." I don't want to pass out by the ocean alone again. We didn't ask about the previous time or times that he had passed out alone by the ocean. We just pointed him in the direction of the hotel lights, and away he shuffled and staggered, stopping twice to vomit. Stephanie put her head on my shoulder and placed a few little soft kisses on my neck. Oh, well, what in the fuck do you think you're doing, Stephanie? Screeched Kim, the HR lady. No dating co-workers. It's in our handbook. Well, since we were sitting on the beach on a company retreat smoking marijuana, which at that time was illegal in Oregon, we thought she might have been joking, so we kind of paused. She was not joking. Steph said, I'm sorry, we're not on a date or anything. I was just feeling kind of naughty because the beach and the... Sound of the waves and the fresh air and all the weed and the alcohol. I'm sorry, I'll go now. I said I'd walk her back over. I think Kim told me to stay right where I was, but I was with a woman I was sort of dating or not who was high and horny and in a red checkered blouse tight at the bottom to reveal just enough of her flat stomach and snug light blue jeans. And I had made my choice. We walked back over to the hotel with our arms around each other, Unwrapping ourselves when we reached the hotel door so as not to be seen by Marcella, we went to the bar and we walked in to see Marcella on stage, belting out to Sir with love. 
the theme song from the Sidney Poitier movie. Uh, we didn't know what to make of that, but we just kind of sat down. And then I pulled Dan aside and asked him if he'd be okay with, uh, if he went and stayed with Scott so I could have Stephanie over. He said, hey, hey Billy, we're being gone worked out for you, didn't it? And he gave me a wink. Dan and Scott uh, said, that was cool. So we set it all up. And I was starting to sober up a little bit at this point, so I thought a truly baller move would be to sing a song to Stephanie and act like it was just to everyone in the bar like it was no biggie. So I did. I rolled out No Doubt About It by Neil McCoy. And, you know, I nailed it. Drunk Jim was sitting with Marcella and listening to her prattle on about goals for the station in the next quarter, but Jim was tanked and just struggling to hold himself up in his chair he hadn't even changed his pee pants and he also couldn't move so she had a captive audience my pager went off it was billy well shit i hope he didn't need me to come back to lebanon from tillamook which is about a four-hour drive it's a long drive in the daylight when you're totally sober those were not the prevailing circumstances so i told everyone i had to go call billy and then i was going to turn in Dan and Scott said they were cashing out too, leaving Stephanie, drunk pee pants Jim, a couple salespeople, our nighttime DJ Lacey, our overnight DJ Rod Thurston in the bar. I got back and called Billy. Everything good back at the station? I asked. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. There wasn't even an emergency the first time. I just had my wife page me and then made the whole thing up. I'm not spending a weekend at the beach with you bastards. He then laughed his wheezy heavy smoker laugh and hung up in my ear. Dan walked in, packed up his stuff, and went down the hall to his new roommate for the weekend, Scott, and Stephanie was staying with another salesperson, Rebecca, so she didn't have to explain anything. She knocked on my door at about 2.30 in the morning, and she had changed into a white t-shirt with no bra and some gray sweatpants. This was going to be a good little morning. Well, my phone room, my room phone rather, rang at 8.23, it was Jim. Hey. Hey, buddy. Marcella is expecting us all at breakfast at 9 a.m., hangover or not. So you might want to get yourself together, get cleaned up so you don't smell like booze and fuck. I thanked him. And Stephanie and I did some fun adult stuff for a little bit more than took a fast and ineffective shower. She had brought her bag with her, so she put on clean clothes and a splash of perfume. At breakfast, Marcella gave us a team-building exercise of some sort to help us get to know each other. My head felt like a symphony was being played inside it, and all I could hear was the timpani drums. It was just pounding, and the morning quickie had done nothing to fix that. So through my bloodshot eyes and cotton mouth, I couldn't help but notice that H.R. Kim and receptionist Paula weren't there. I inquired as to their whereabouts. Marcella let out a heavy sigh and said, Well, it seems that Kim was smoking marijuana on the beach and someone alerted the cops. So because of the amount she had, she didn't just get a ticket. She actually spent the night in jail. Paula's at the jail bailing her out. I'm so embarrassed by all of you. The meeting and team building continued for what seemed like hours And then Marcella announced we were all going for a guided nature hike together. Oh boy, just what a bunch of 
hungover, out-of-shape radio people need. Bright sunlight, fresh air, and the sound of our boss's voice telling us how we all had potential and she thought we could be the best station in all of Oregon. Stephanie and I went back to our uh, er, uh, mine and Dan's room and split a cold beer to help ease the pain of last night. She was sitting on the edge of uh, Dan's bed, and I sat on mine. She said, I probably shouldn't have called the cops on Kim. I didn't know she'd end up in jail. Then we paused for just a beat before howling with laughter. The remainder of the weekend was uneventful. We got back to Lebanon and prepared to go to work on Monday. I was once again staring at the shag carpet on the walls in the production room, hoping for inspiration when Stephanie came in. And I was working on my mirror, uh, commercial for Chuck's Mirror and Glass, who made some of the Willamette Valley's finest shower doors. She locked the door, sat down in a chair next to me, took my hand and said, I just got fired. I said, what? You got what now? She said, I got fired. I didn't meet Marcella's quota for the ad revenue the last two months, and she fired me for that, officially. I see. You think our relationship had anything to do with that, unofficially? She said, I imagine so, but you know Marcella. She just sat there with her hands folded on her desk like some sort of grade school principal saying she was letting me go. I didn't really like this job anyway, hon. I'm going back to bartending. Pour drinks. Let guys think they have a chance with you so they tip more. It's it's just easier. What about us, I asked. She told me she wanted to keep seeing me, and that wasn't going to change. She kissed me and said to come to her place after I got off work, and she walked out the door. At about noon, Marcella knocked on the door to the production room, (laughs) where I was once again staring at this compelling stain On the shag carpeting on the wall, I think someone had once thrown their coffee against the wall and it made this this just geometric stain. And that's what I looked at for inspiration. And Marcella said, Peter, do you have a sec? I didn't. And I worried that do you have a sec meant what it meant at many previous jobs. In this case, kind of. Well, I have good news and I have bad news, said Marcella. The bad news is I am going to write you up for having an undisclosed romantic relationship with an employee. This is two write-ups in your file now, so if you cross me, I will fire you, and I have all the documentation I need to make sure you never get unemployment. And I said, you know, I was told at the beginning of that diatribe there would be good news. She said, The good news is I'm promoting you to program director. You're in charge of scheduling the weekends, making sure we're FCC compliant with everything, restarting our transmitter if it goes out in the middle of the night, covering for anyone who's sick. You're responsible for making sure this station is everything it can be for me and for ownership. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude at my promotion that I couldn't help but blurt out, so how much more do I get paid? Marcella said, wow. I guess they know what your priorities are, an extra $250 a month. And that's when it hit me. What did that mean about Billy? I walked down to Billy's office, and when I walked in, he said, Welcome to your new office, bud. Working 70-hour weeks for for what comes out to about 4 bucks an hour on your salary really paid off. I got a job over at KFLY in Corvallis. I'm the morning guy and program director over there. I don't have any openings yet or I'd take you with me. But on the plus side, you're about to go through, uh, at least you've got your own bathroom. 
here in the office. And let me guess, an extra hundred bucks a month? Two fifty, I said. Wow, they really stepped it up, he said, wheezing his smoker laugh. By the way, your first day is tomorrow. When I gave Marcella two weeks' notice, she said, No, thank you. You can leave at the end of the day. My first job was to work with Marcella and find a new midday DJ to replace Billy. I knew the afternoon guy at the classic rock station over in Corvallis, and I asked him to see if he wanted to talk about doing mornings for me. My plan was to move Jim, the drunk guy, to midday so he wouldn't have to try to get his shit together by 6 a.m. anymore and bring in someone else to work mornings. Mike Danielson, the afternoon guy I was talking to, said he'd be interested, so I scheduled an interview without bothering to consult Marcella. She wanted me to listen to a bunch of tapes and interview a bunch of people for midday and keep Jim the drunk on mornings, and I said, I'll do respect, Marcella, but Jim can't make it here by 6 a.m. I know you don't roll in here until 9 and you're vapor by 5.02, but that's the reality here. We reached a compromise and made a temporary schedule where Jim the drunk would work 6 to noon, I'd work noon to 6, and I'd go to Lacey at 6 and rot at midnight so I could listen to tapes and interview people. But I already knew what I wanted to do. I spent about an hour in my office listening to tapes of varying quality from people in smaller markets wanting to move up and some from bigger markets who had been fired and were going to be here just long enough to get some good tape to fucking abandon me again. So I pressed on with my first idea and told Mike Danielson to bring a tape and a resume when he came over tomorrow. After listening to over 20 tapes, I put the bad ones in a box and started walking down the hall to go outside to the dumpster. Marcella was coming back in from smoking and said, Where are you going with that box of tapes? I said, I'm putting them where they belong. I kept right on moving and tossed them in the dumpster. The next day, I offered Mike Danielson the job because his tape was good. He had a good work history, and he knew the kind of shit and money I could offer. So I introduced him to Marcella, and he said, "This," and I said, this is Mike Danielson, our new morning guy. She said, you mean midday guy? I said, no, I'm hiring a morning guy because he can be here by 6. Mike interjected, I'll be here by 5.30. I high-fived him for that. Marcella said, fine. You never want to hear a woman say, fine but I hadn't learned that yet. So I shared my office with Jim the Drunk as he was our music director in charge of monitoring the charts, entering songs into the generator software, and putting together music logs. I was having Mike fill out his paperwork in our office rather than HR Lady Kim's office when Jim walked in. He used to work with Mike, so immediately they started talking and joking. Jim asked if Mike was taking over middays, and Mike said, that's your department now, pal. I'm morning drive. Jim looked at me, looked at Mike, looked back at me and said, I'm moving to middays? I said, yep, your pay is the same and you'll still be the music director, but now you don't have to be here at six. Jim looked me right in the eye and said, oh, thank Christ on the throne. Mornings are so awful. We opened up some of the beers that Jim kept in the fridge and began laying out our plans to dominate the Mid-Valley. Mike said he was going to give his boss, Debbie Banks, two weeks notice, but was confident she'd just cut him loose that day. Well, hell, use my phone, I suggested. So Mike dialed up Debbie's office and said he'd accepted the morning job at Pure Country 103.7 and was giving her two weeks' notice. Debbie was not on speakerphone, but everyone in the room could hear her scream, Well, fuck you then, asshole. Don't bother coming back here. And just like that, our morning through afternoon lineup was all set. 
I was production director, program director, making sixteen fifty a month, and I had a cute girlfriend and was the number one afternoon DJ between Eugene and Portland. Marcella and I coexisted nicely for a couple of months because I was busting my hump. Our salespeople were doing great. Revenues were strong. Sales and programming were getting along nicely because I was good at doing most of the work in programming. And she managed the sales staff in addition to being general manager, directly reporting to ownership. Then incidents happened. My nighttime DJ, Lacey Hughes, was being stalked by her ex-husband, So I always had our overnight guy, Rod, walk her out to her car. The ex-husband would show up in his car and then park about 150 feet away, so he was technically within the boundaries of the restraining order against him. One night, however, Lacey made the mistake of giving Rod a hug after he had walked her to her car. The ex-husband found this to be unacceptable, so he got out of his car and began yelling and cursing at them. Rod was a nice guy with a great voice, extensive knowledge of country music, but he also had a quick temper. So the overnight DJ spot was perfect for him because he could be alone and not have anyone bug him. Unbeknownst to anyone uh, until just then, Rod also carried a concealed pistol. He rather loudly informed the ex-husband that it would be in his best interest to get back in his car and drive away. He did, and I would love to say that was the end of it. When you show up to work at 7 a.m. and see two cop cars in the parking lot, it's very seldom a happy thing. seems that the ex-husband had called the cops on Rod for threatening him with a gun. The Lebanon police kind of got the upshot of what was going on, and they were questioning Rod inside the radio station rather than taking him into custody or anything silly like that. I didn't know if that was protocol or not, but I could tell they wanted to just give Rod a warning and pretend the whole thing never happened. No need to end up doing a bunch of paperwork over a misunderstanding as they saw it. Rod was protecting a co-worker because I, his boss, had asked him to do so. Well, shit. Wouldn't you know that would be the day Marcella showed up at 7.30 a.m. for a conference call with ownership, which was based on the East Coast. The police took my statement that while, yes, in fact, I had asked Rod to walk Lacey to her car every night to keep her stalker ex-husband from feeling like he could approach her or violate her restraining order, I did not instruct him to pull out a pistol. Rod had the pistol legally and was registered to carry a concealed handgun, and come to think of it, being alone overnight in a small town with a lot of meth heads, it was probably a good idea for him to do so anyway. The cops finished writing down what they wanted to write down, and Officer Berglund told me to have a great day, asking me to play Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks for him. I said it would, shook his hand, and off the police went. Into my office, Marcella came. Why in the fuck were there cops in here, Peter? What did you do? I told her I hadn't done anything and that Rod had protected Lacey from her stalker ex-husband and uh, watched her or walked her to her car. And Marcella said, well, you have to fire Rod. (laughs) Not going to happen, I said. Lacey's ex-husband lives in Portland, was driving an hour and a half out of his way to come watch her from the car. That's not safe, and I will not have my nighttime DJ scared to leave work at the end of her shift. Marcella replied, well, I won't have my overnight DJ pull out a fucking gun on somebody. 
I said, I'm sorry, but if you want to fire a DJ with a great voice, great attitude, great ratings, who we pay next to nothing just because he's looking out for his coworker, you'll do it yourself. She said, this isn't over, Peter. I hate being called by my full name in a condescending fashion. Well, I have to go do a conference call with ownership, and this just might come up, she said. I said, great. Ask Dr. Gallup, the majority owner of the station, if he wants his nighttime DJ to be beaten, raped, or merely murdered by her ex-husband. Marcella just avoided me the rest of the day, and I went home. Stephanie was sitting on the front steps to my apartment having a smoke when I pulled up. She didn't technically live with me, but she had a key and more than one drawer full of clothes, a toothbrush in my toothbrush holder, and all sorts of stuff scattered on my bathroom counter, so she wasn't exactly a guest either. She saw my face and said, Oh, honey, did that bitch finally get rid of you too? I said she hadn't, but I told her what was going on, and she said, I'm sorry, I can't make that better, but I did make tacos so we can have dinner together before I go to work. So tacos we had, and it was all going to be okay. I knew it wasn't going to be okay. At the staff meeting at the Firehouse Pizza the next Wednesday, Marcella was in no mood to play around anymore. We had an off month in sales, which wasn't unusual for that time of year, but she'd lost her good soldier program director, which Billy wasn't in reality, but he was the king of making her think she was that he was, rather. She didn't get her way in the hiring or scheduling of DJs because I was too stubborn. Not because she couldn't, she just knew I'd make her life more difficult. Dr. Gallup had called me to let me know that his, in his opinion, I did the right thing by having Rod escort Lacey to her car every night and that Rod just overreacted. But since nobody got hurt, nobody went to jail, it was a closed case as far as he was concerned. Uh, Rod got written up by Marcella for the incident, but he was allowed to continue his job. I often wonder what that looked like in his HR file. Employee was escorting a female co-worker out to her car at midnight to keep her stalking ex-husband at bay. Employee pulled out legally owned and registered pistol in self-defense when stalking ex-husband lobbed verbal threats across parking lot. But it seemed like that would be behind us now. Marcella began the meeting by telling us how terrible we were doing. Sales are down. We're getting less presence in the community from remotes. Our DJs are being arrested. I'm the top billing salesperson. I have to keep all my salespeople in line or they won't get any work done. I have to be on Peter's back every second or he'll just do whatever the hell he wants and it'll all go to hell around here. I have to schedule weekend DJs and keep up on music trends so Jim doesn't fuck us all over by playing weak singles that nobody wants to hear and not one of you even bothers to thank me. Jim, the drunk midday guy, said, With all due respect, Marcella, Peter, he made air quotes, is a good boss. Hell, he got me out of mornings, and we know I'm not a morning person. Mike Danielson crushed ass in the last ratings book in the mornings. He's, he's holding his own doing a morning show against people that have multiple host morning shows. We're the official country radio station of the St. Paul Rodeo, thanks to Dan, your salesperson, who actually is the top biller, and we're actually registering on the books in Eugene ahead of some of their local stations. And I do all the music. Pete handles all the weekend jocks, and we haven't had to fire one since Billy had to let that one idiot go for crashing the station when we were at that retreat on the coast. 
Marcella's eyes narrowed like Clint Eastwood in a western. I'm so glad you brought that up, James. The coast retreat was supposed to be fun and make us a better team, but you all got drunk as a bunch of sailors on shore leave, and Peter had inappropriate relations with one of my salespeople, and my own HR person was caught with drugs. You embarrassed me and lowered our standing in the community. We need to take more pride in this radio station. Now, keeping in mind that Jim and I both knew that Billy had fired the part-timer because he was selling meth, not because he had crashed the station, and that everything Marcella was saying was bullshit, and everyone else knew it too, including Rod, except he was asleep at the table because he was usually in bed by this time of day. But he was here anyway at the meeting because the meeting was mandatory and he was a good, reliable employee, and that Stephanie was the best girlfriend I'd had up to that point in my life. And she would stay with me for a couple more months before deciding to move to California with her sister just to get out of the Mid-Valley for once in her life. So how we met was the last thing I cared about. I very calmly said, may I add to this conversation, Marcella? She said I could. Fantastic, I said. First of all, Rod wasn't arrested. He was questioned because he allegedly threatened somebody with a gun. Never mind that the person he allegedly threatened was stalking my nighttime DJ. By the way, Rod is here at a meeting where he's really not needed during his sleep hours, obviously. My weekend crew is amazing. Randy, Steve, Casey, and Julie are top-notch. Hell, if you haven't noticed, I even let Julie take over the Sunday morning country classic show because I trust her with it. I don't trust anybody with anything, but my part-timer Julie is good enough to get one of my favorite things about this place. Stephanie and I listen to her every Sunday over a nice breakfast. Now, you officially fired Stephanie for not meeting quotas, but we know th- both know you've kept other salespeople who didn't put up numbers as good as hers, so there's a chance it was for a policy that we didn't even have in the company handbook until after you let her go. But she's wearing one of my old t-shirts and drinking her Sunday coffee in my kitchen every week, so I think I won. And by the way, Dan is our top billing salesperson. My team gets awesome ratings and is at every grand opening, parade, going out of business sale, fair, festival, or concert within a 50-mile radius. And yes, I may do whatever I want, as you call it. But there's no denying the position we're in, the revenue we're generating, or how much we're a part of this community. And miss me with that pride in the station bullshit. I work 70 hours a week, so my checks relative to the hours are about 4 bucks an hour. So, with that in mind, if working your ass off for less than the toothless tweaker at the gas station makes isn't pride, I'm sorry. But the next time you feel like we don't all appreciate you enough... Instead of calling a meeting and feeding a shitty pizza while you tell us how terrible we all are, we should just get you a giant wooden cross so when we don't appreciate you enough, you can just nail yourself to it. We don't need your sarcasm, Peter, Marcella replied. A hush fell over the room. Jim and Mike were choking back their laughter and Lacey sat there with her mouth agape like she had just witnessed a miracle. When I finished my shift at 6 p.m., Marcella was still there. That never happened, so I was concerned, if I were to say the least. I ducked out of the studio and headed for the production room, but she saw me. Peter, you got a sec? And when I walked into her office, Kim, the HR lady, was there too, so I knew what was going on.
I left and went back to pick up stuff to go to dinner. She saw my face, and before she even got in the truck, she said, So, you got fired? I said, So, yeah, I got fired. And that's the story of a small town radio st- uh, station at which I worked uh, back in about 1995 until 1997, I believe. And may have even been into 98, but I think it was 97 is when it came to a uh, screeching halt. And I hope you enjoyed that story. I'll have other stories. One of these days, my stories will not involve getting fired from a job. But those are the most uh, top of mind memories that I have. So... Thanks for joining me again. We'll talk to you next time on uh, Uncle Pete's Storytime. Take care now. Bye-bye then.